Hello everyone, my name is Reese Karlinski and this is Young History, episode 156 on Uzbekistan. The capitalist country is Tashkent. Now the term Uzbek likely refers to the original Turkic word uz, meaning self or free, combined with the Turkic suffix bek, which denotes a ruler or leader. Therefore, Uzbek could be interpreted as free ruler or independent leader. The Persian suffix istan pretty much means land of or place of, so the name of the country is the land of the Uzbeks, but I also wanted to break down what an Uzbek was as well. As we will cover in the early part of this episode, Uzbekistan is very, very old. Civilization has been present in this region for thousands of years, and in many cases, hundreds of years before many other places. Because of these facts, Uzbekistan has over 4,000 architectural and archaeological sites within its borders. Many of them are recognized as UNESCO World Heritage Sites. Uzbekistan is one of two nations in the world that is doubly landlocked, which means that the nation is landlocked by countries that are also landlocked. The only other country in the world that shares this status is Liechtenstein, which is in Western Europe and has that double border with Austria and Switzerland, which are both landlocked countries. Also, there is not a single river in Uzbekistan that can be traced out to a major open ocean. And this one was a little controversial for a while because of the size of the Caspian Sea, but that is not considered a big enough or open enough body of water to not be considered a water border for Kazakhstan because Uzbekistan borders Kazakhstan in the west, which prevents it from touching the Caspian Sea. But there's a little controversy there, but this is still a true stat. On top of this, Uzbekistan also has a really rich tradition of arts and crafts, including ceramics, embroidery, silk weaving, and wood carving. Traditional crafts are often passed down through generations and play an important role in preserving cultural heritage. Music and dance are integral parts of Uzbek culture. Traditional Uzbek music features instruments such as the doira, which is a frame drum, a dutar, which is a two-stringed lute, and the tanbur, which is a long-necked lute. Dance is performed in a lively fashion. Some of the ones are the lazgi and the more elegant bakshi dance, which are performed on social occasions and celebrations. And that pretty much gets us through our intro. Uzbekistan, I always kind of say this, I think every region of the world kind of has its final boss. So, like, for example, when you're doing the Balkans, I think once you're getting to, like, Serbia, that's when it's like, okay, this is very, the big one for this this area's history. This one's always influential. For the South African region, South Africa, for the Caribbean, I consider it Cuba, all different things like that. So... I say that Uzbekistan kind of is that final boss, like big dog of Central Asia, because of the fact that so much of this region's history has been ran through Uzbekistan itself, but more the influence of the Uzbek people that make up this nation and have made up a lot of other nations in the area. So just keep that in mind as we go through this. I consider this a very significant history, and I'm going to try and do it as much justice as I can. So with all that being said, one more time... My name is Reese Karlinski, this is Young History, and this is Uzbekistan. Hope you guys enjoy. Our origins begin when this region spent its early history acting as a gateway between China and the Western continent. Civilizations were created in this region as early as anywhere else in the world. Cities like Samarkand and Bukhara can be dated back at least 2,700 years ago. Around 400 BC, Samarkand was known as Margan Sogdia and was inhabited by Iranian peoples, which means Samarkand has been continuously inhabited for almost 3,000 years. 
The Sogdian culture formed as part of the nomadic system of the Eurasian steppes. Around this time, Cyrus the Great led the Achaemenid Empire to conquer the Sogdian kingdom. Achaemenid rule was the introduction of Persian culture to the Uzbeks. Persian culture would continuously influence music, art, food, dance, architecture, and more, all the way until the present day. Achaemenid rule also brought the introduction of Persian satraps, which were provinces of sorts that represented the greater governance of the Persian leaders. And just a quick acknowledgement, the Uzbeks formed very quickly. It was as soon as cities like Samarkand were built, this culture of semi-nomadic, Central Asian, Iranian-influenced peoples kind of form into this recognizable group that we call the Uzbeks, and they start to carve out what they want as a home for themselves at this point in history, which we're talking about now, which is still pre-500 BC. But as we move on a little bit, we get to some other major players that affected this region. The Macedonian conquest of Persia is one of them. It occurred from 335 to 323 BC. Alexander the Great marched the Macedonian army all the way to the Sogdian region and invaded Samarkand. Alexander died and his empire was split amongst its generals. The region of Uzbekistan was governed under the Seleucid Empire. The Seleucid Empire was around from 312 to 63 BC. Greek culture expanded rapidly and left roots in the entire Central Asian region. We covered this very heavily when we did Afghanistan, which has a huge influence of Greek culture there. But after this, there would be the formation of the Greco-Bactrian Kingdom. The Greco-Bactrian Kingdom emerged after the Seleucid Empire. Bactria, which is located in what is now northern Afghanistan and parts of Uzbekistan, gained independence from the Seleucids around 256 BC. The move was led by their famed hero, Diodotus I. The Greco-Bactrian Kingdom was characterized by a blend of Greek and local Bactrian culture. Greek settlers, soldiers, and administrators intermingled with the local population, and Greek language and customs were adopted by the elites. This fusion of cultures is evident in the art, architecture, and coinage of the region at this point. Under the great kings Euthydemus I and Demetrius I, the Greco-Bactrian Kingdom expanded its territory, reaching the zenith of power during the reign of Euthydemus II. The kingdom controlled territories stretching from modern-day Afghanistan to the northwestern region of the Indian subcontinent. It became a prosperous center of trade along the developing Silk Road and started to benefit from the commerce between the Mediterranean world, Central Asia, and the Far East. The Greco-Bactrian kingdom, however, faced internal strife and external pressures from nomadic incursions and neighboring states. By the 200s BCE, by the 2nd century BCE, the kingdom began to decline. It was gradually overrun by nomadic tribes, particularly the Uezi. I talked about them a lot in our episode on Afghanistan, but to sum it up, they are actually a West Chinese people group that are actually a Caucasian in their genetics, and they were pushed out by another Western Caucasian group that was there, and they end up moving West. Specifically, the U.S. established the Kushan Empire in the region that is today Afghanistan and Uzbekistan. The last Greco-Bactrian king, Helosius II, was defeated around 130 BCE, marking the end of Greek rule in Central Asia and the start of the Kushan Empire. The Kushan Empire was around from 30 BC to 375 CE. The empire was known for its multicultural and cosmopolitan character. Its foundation, based in Uezi culture, meant that there was a lot of nomadic influence, and there was also some Greek, Persian, Indian, and other Central Asian elements present in the culture. The Kushan Empire was instrumental in the spread of Buddhism across Central Asia and specifically into China. Kushan rulers, particularly Kanishka the Great, were patrons of Buddhism and supported the construction of Buddhist monasteries, stupas, and sculptures. This period saw the development of distinctive 
Gandharan art, which combined Hellenistic and Indian styles of art to create ones that could only be found here and nowhere else in the world. Following this, the Sasanian Neo-Persian Empire started to influence the region from around 200 CE and would keep influencing it until 651 CE. And they would most influentially bring Manichaeism, which was a religion formed within the Sasanian Empire that spread far east to China and west to Britannia. It was for a time the largest religion in the world behind Christianity, until Islam started to rapidly spread. The Gokturk Khaganate was the first Turkic state to expand. Sogdian was used as the main language and writing was done in said language. The Khaganate expanded out of Mongolia and expanded across Central Asia from 552 to 603 CE. Then there was the Umayyad Caliphate. Samarkand and the region around it were rapidly converted to Islam after a massive invasion pushed out the Turkic influence. Mosques were constructed in the great city of Samarkand, and a more Arab Islamic culture would begin to grow in the region. In 750, the Abbasid Revolution ousted the Umayyads and established the Abbasid Caliphate. It is believed that the Abbasids introduced papermaking to the area after they learned the practice from battles with China. The Samanid Empire was established in 819. This empire established different governments within the area and then united them to claim themselves as the descendants of the Sasanian Empire that came before. This also meant that the Samanids claimed Persian descent and would bring more Persian influence to the region. And we're going to jump a bit. There was the Khwarazmian Empire and a few of those, but it is just a lot of back and forth and this kind of thing where culture comes, trade, culture, trade. But the big one that brings destruction, trade, and influence is the Mongol invasions. They were led by Genghis Khan because a Khan in the region of Uzbekistan actually executed a band of Mongolian caravan traders, which historically has been a thing that has gotten a lot of people killed. A lot of people killed the messengers of Genghis Khan and sent a lot of disrespect to the Mongol leader and ended up paying with their lives. So for two years, the, the Khwarazmian Empire was raided and brutalized by the Mongols. Genghis Khan arrived in Samarkand in 1220. His sons, Shangatai and Ogadai, were by his side as well. Mongol rule was enacted quickly and was extremely relevant in the shaping of the culture of the steppes region. After Genghis died in 1257, the empire was split up. Samarkand and the rest of the Uzbek region was governed by the Shangtai Khaganate. Timur, or Tamerlane, was a Turco-Mongol descendant of Genghis Khan that rose to power in the steppes and launched a resistance in 1370. He ousted the Shangtai power and made Samarkand the capital of the Timurid Empire. He was undefeated in all his battles and is considered one of the greatest military leaders in human history. Tamerlane expanded Samarkand and improved it so that it could become the best trade hub in Central Asia. Samarkand also became a major hub for scientific and mathematical advancements because of how developed the city was. They had enough resources to not only cover their needs, but to cover the cost of growing and trying new things. And this is why there was so much scientific, mathematic, and cultural advancement in the cities all the way up through the 1500s. And it would be at this time in the 1500s that a true Uzbek culture started to take root across the region and become a sense of national pride. In the 1600s, Uzbek tribes out of Bukhara rose to prominence and united. They expanded their power across the region and attempted to form an Uzbek state. They constructed the Uleg Bagh Madrasa in Samarkand, which was used as a center for Islamic education and scriptures. This is one of those places that has that very unique style of Indian and Greek art formed into one in the way it was constructed, and you could still see the beauty of this grand madrasa today. The Uzbeks had always been in the region as rural and or nomadic tribes, but never had strong control over the area because of the large governing powers that kept marching in. 
1736, the legendary Persian leader Nadir Shah rose to power. He reunified the region under Persian rule for the first time in centuries. He created the Afshari dynasty that dominated the region throughout the 1700s. Nadir Shah himself was assassinated in 1740, which weakened the dynasty and in just a few decades it fell apart. And that is when there's a lot of disillusion and there isn't a lot of unity. The Uzbeks are still trying to form their own separate cutout of this region. There's still a lot of Persian influence, so people from Persia at the time, which is now the Iranian people groups, were trying to do the same. They're trying to continue to hold power here despite the loss of power from great leaders. And the rest of Central Asia was just moving so much trade, goods, and people throughout the area that a huge amount of diaspora was occurring, and there was just so many cultures in the area that it was a lot. There was a lot of going... There's a lot of things going on, there was a lot of instability, and there wasn't a lot of unity as one strong unit in Uzbekistan. And that is when a very well put together large power started to move in, which was Russia. Russia made its first encroachments on the region in 1864 and 1868. Russia expanded its power over Tashkent and Samarkand. Uzbeks were now under imperial Russian control. The conquest was rapid because Russia had industrialized its army and was not facing a strong united power like it would have before. The Russians funded the Trans-Caspian Railroad, which connected the region and allowed for a lot of expansion economically. Uzbeks were given a lot of autonomy so that there would be no major resistance to Russian rule. When the Bolshevik Revolution occurred, it found some resistance to the new communist ideas in Uzbekistan. But by the 1920s, the Uzbek cities and the rest of Central Asia had fallen under the control of the Soviet Union. In 1924, the Soviet Social Republic of Uzbekistan was officially created. Soviet systems were putting in place new rules that would apply to every level of the government. There was effects on the economy, which caused shifts that came from communism, and there also was a strict policing system that came from Stalin. One of the most sweeping changes that came under Soviet rule was the expansion of the literacy program. Before the 1920s, Uzbekistan was widely illiterate in most of its areas, but by the time World War II came around, almost 100% of the nation was literate. Speaking of, World War II saw around 1.4 million Uzbeks fight on the Soviet side against the Germans. However, it is believed that a few hundred thousand soldiers of Uzbek descent actually defected to the German army because of their ideas against communism. Another major change that came to Uzbekistan during World War II was actually to its demographics. Because of how quickly the German army was able to advance into Western Russia, many of the large industries moved their factories from Western Russia to Uzbekistan. The introduction of these factories brought not only a lot of economic development and production to Uzbekistan, but also brought a lot of new ethnic groups. A huge amount of Russians, Ukrainians, and other Central Asian nationals moved into Uzbekistan during this period. Soviet rule was characterized on the first half by Stalin. Stalin ran the Union by prohibiting any religious worship, which was a stark contrast to the centuries of history in Uzbekistan. Soviet rule had a significant environmental effect on the area. The RLC, which was one of the largest inland bodies of water, was diverted with tributaries to feed the dry areas of Uzbekistan. This was a move done by the Soviets to feed their need for a cotton industry. As time passed, more and more tributaries were created to feed the growing cotton production. As of now, the RLC has been almost completely drained, marking this as one of the world's worst environmental catastrophes. In the post-World War II period where Stalin was in power, Uzbek culture was very heavily suppressed. Stalin made many attempts to force a very Russian culture in the region, but to no avail. As time went on, it became very clear that the Soviet rule did not entirely connect with Uzbekistan. The Uzbek people accepted life in the Soviet society, but not with the same pride that the nation was filled with in the past. When the Soviet Union began to fall apart around 1990, the Uzbek people began to accept that independence was on the horizon. 
Independence from the Soviet Union was officially achieved on August 31, 1991. The first secretary of the Communist Party in Uzbekistan, named Islam Karimov, became the president upon independence. He quickly became a totalitarian, beginning his three-decade-long dominance of politics. Once independence was achieved, there was a big shift in the culture of Uzbekistan. The time under the Soviet system meant that the reciprocation and single unity was the status quo. But upon independence, Uzbekistan started to dive deep into the culture that had been suppressed for so long. In the decades since, Uzbekistan has started to embrace its old religion, daily practices, cuisine, and many other facets of their once silenced culture. Outside of the cultural things, the next big shift Uzbekistan attempted to make was towards a free market system. Efforts to fully convert the system from a socialist one to a free market have not been easy, but Uzbekistan has nonetheless made strides decade over decade. Uzbekistan transitioned from a centrally planned to a market-based economy. However, the process was slow and often marred by corruption, inefficiency, and a lack of transparency. The country's economy remained heavily dependent on cotton production and the natural resources it has. Over time, the government of Uzbekistan grew very wary of Islamist movements, particularly following the incidents of violence and instability in the neighboring countries. This led to a crackdown on religious expression and the suppression of Islamic groups perceived as threats to the regime. In somewhat recent politics, Uzbekistan has begun to act as a cornerstone of Central Asian politics. Uzbeks are a significant minority in every nation in the region, especially in Afghanistan, which has 3 million Uzbek expats. Therefore, a lot of Central Asian politics have a pretty pro-Uzbek flavor to them. And I do want to talk more about President Islam Karimov. Throughout his presidency, Karimov maintained tight control over all aspects of Uzbek society using an iron fist. His government severely restricted political freedoms, cracked down on dissent, and suppressed opposition parties and independent media. Human rights organizations frequently criticized Uzbekistan for its record of torture, detention, and the lack of freedom of speech. One of the worst examples of brutal government suppression was the Andijan Massacre. The Andijan Massacre occurred in May of 2005. Government forces violently suppressed a protest in the city of Andijan. Despite it being a peaceful demonstration, hundreds of people were killed. The event drew international condemnation and strained Uzbekistan's relation with all Western nations. Karimov pursued gradual economic reforms, transitioning Uzbekistan from a centrally planned to a market-based economy. However, progress was slow, and the economy remained heavily reliant on cotton production and natural resources. Corruption was widespread, hindering development and investment. Karimov pursued a foreign policy that aimed to balance Uzbekistan's relation with major powers such as Russia and China and their counterpart, United States. Tensions occasionally arose over the issues with neighboring countries over water access and border disputes. That is a major issue in the Central Asian region because of the very desert and mountainous structure of much of this region. Access to water is very limited, so things that happen with the RLC and access to the Caspian Sea are very influential in politics because some of the more powerful nations like Uzbekistan could very easily establish a monopoly on it but have to still work with the other powers in order to not cause conflicts or sometimes wars. And that gets us towards the end of Karimov's rule. Towards the end, he became very well known for his anti-Islamist movements. He saw them as a threat to his leadership and perceived religious dissent as a sin. This included targeting independent Muslim groups and suppressing religious expression outside of state-controlled institutions. Human rights organizations accused the government of using counterterrorism measures as a pretext to silence political opposition and religious freedom. And by the time things started to slow down, Karimov had held power with an iron fist for nearly 30 years and refused to give it up. It became very clear to everyone that there would be no way Uzbekistan is ran by anyone else until Karimov died.
which he did in September of 2016. Following his death, Shavkat Mirziyoyev, the former prime minister, succeeded Karimov after winning the presidential election in December of 2016. Shavkat pledged to pursue reforms and improve Uzbekistan's international standing. Since assuming power, President Shavkat has initiated a series of reforms aimed at modernizing the country and improving its human rights record. These reforms have included measures to liberalize the economy, attract foreign investment, and reduce the government's control over the daily lives of its citizens. Uzbekistan has been working to diversify its economy away from its heavy reliance on cotton production, and efforts have been made to develop other sectors such as tourism, agriculture, manufacturing, and technology. And with all that, that gets us to the present. Uzbekistan ranks as high on the Human Development Index for its beautiful cities, large cultural centers, and expanding technological industries. The nation has seen a lot of small-scale improvements to the corruption on the regional level because officials accused of corruption have been arrested. However, when it comes to the national level, corruption is still very present and clear. The executive branch operates at an almost unchecked level, and there are absolutely no opposition parties in the country. Uzbekistan is a cultural cornerstone of Central Asia, with many cities holding thousands of years of this region's history. Since the era of the Silk Road, Uzbekistan has been the point of connection between the Far East and the West. Uzbekistan is commonly referred to as the sleeping giant of Central Asia because it holds so many resources, so much wealth, huge cultural influence, and a geopolitical point of interest that few other nations can claim. And despite the struggles of this nation, this is still one of the most unique ones in the world. So I want to end this and do what I always do, which is kind of give a takeaway or a mindset for the history of this nation or that you can pull away from learning the history of this nation. And with Uzbekistan, that is going to be never forget who you are. I say that with Uzbekistan because this nation, despite its long history existing with Uzbeks in it almost 3,000 years ago and a culture forming since that point, the Uzbeks have been suppressed. There is hundreds, if not thousands, of instances where their culture has not been able to form, where they've not been able to have a state for themselves, where they haven't had Uzbekistan as the land for the Uzbeks. But despite this, they have always fought, they've always stayed around, they've always pushed forward, and they have never given up. And throughout all of the suffering, if it was under the Soviets, under the Persians, under early Russia, under anyone who controlled this region that was not of Uzbek descent, the people here never gave up. They never gave up hope that they would have a nation of their own one day. They would never give up hope of what they thought their nation should look like, what their home should look like, what their culture should be represented as they never ever gave up and they had to do this through thousands of years of true suffering through wars through invasions through massive powers like the mongols and small ones like the greco-bactrians everyone in between has seen something and had an effect on uzbekistan that would have tried to stop the uzbeks from being who they were but it never worked because these people never gave up on who they were i say you should 100 percent do the same exact thing it's a long life we all live and there's going to be a lot of ups and downs there's going to be people who try their best to pull you into a direction that does not represent you well it can manifest in a relationship it can be teachers it can be bosses it can be many 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 people but nonetheless you have to hold tight onto who you are and you can't forget who you are if that means your morals your culture the things you do every day your practices your dreams the love you want to have all of these things mean more than anything else and they are what make you you and they can easily be lost because of heartbreak and other people trying to pull you into a direction that benefits them and not you so just do not forget who you are and try and channel the history of the people we just learned about who have for millennia now always held on to what their culture was and who they were no matter who was dominating them or trying their hardest to suppress said culture so just remember 
do not let go of who you are. And I feel that is the best way to continue to be who you're meant to be. And with that being said, that gets us to the end where I just want to say goodbye. I'm so glad you guys listened. Like I said, this one means a lot to me because of the huge influence of this nation in this entire region and how important the Uzbeks have been to the history of Central Asia. And with that, I just want to say I'm glad you guys are here. So thank you so much for being here. And one more time, my name is Reese Karlinski. This is Young History. And that was Uzbekistan. Hope you guys enjoyed.